Blog Talk Radio. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations, you are all now members of the 115th Congress. AJC Radio and our team extend a personal invitation to all the members of Congress to be a part of this dynamic initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. We welcome you, whether you're Republican or Democrat or Independent, whatever you might be, we join together to bring to the attention of the American people the positive things that our elected officials are doing on Capitol Hill. Tonight, AJC Radio salutes you, and we extend that invitation to all the members of Congress as we continue to shine the light called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. It's just going to get better from here. Let's get on board. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, the right to cast an unfettered vote is central to our democracy. When the United States Supreme Court invalidated key provisions of the 1965 Voting Rights Act, it invited Congress to update the formula that determines which jurisdictions should be covered. Unfortunately, while Congress has failed to act, we have seen jurisdiction after jurisdiction all across this country attempting to erect impediments to the right to vote. The Voting Rights Act, or the Voting Rights Investment Act, uh, that has been introduced in this body and the other across the hall, responds to the Supreme Court's invitation. That's why we have labeled our legislative outreach strategy, hashtag restore the vote. And because elections are held on Tuesdays, today we are launching hashtag restoration Tuesday to organize member activities online, on the floor, and throughout our communities. Ladies and gentlemen of America, welcome in tonight to Spotlight on Capitol Hill, our Encore series. And we take a look back at some of the most intriguing interviews we've had on this show with members on Capitol Hill. Tonight we highlight a legend. They call him Congressman James Clyburn. It starts right now. And I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, William Williams, getting the job done here as we get ready to set off and kick off, if you will, another night of our Encore series that we've just started. Looking back, turning the page, if you will, back on some of the most exciting and intriguing interviews from our members on Capitol Hill and the challenges that face them going forward. And we're going to get into that tonight. I'm Lamont Banks, again, along with Cliff Stewart and William Williams. And uh, we are excited, William, tonight to shine the light on Congressman Clyburn and take a look back 
at that mom- really momentous interview that we had with him, which really, I mean, set the, set the tone, if you will, for leaders on Capitol Hill. Yes, yes. I mean, it's going to be a great show to actually go back through and, and talk about his interview and then also, you know, look at some of the things that they're doing now. You know, there's no rest for the weary. And, uh, you know, we have there's always something going on in Congress. So see what he's uh, got going on lately. Well, he's done a lot of good things. Well respected on the Hill. Um, and we appreciate Patrick, uh, uh, the gentleman up there, his communications director that we've worked with, uh, even, you know, with the interview before and what we're, what we're doing, even currently as we get ready uh, to, to make strides toward that direction again. We are excited. Uh, Congressman Clyburn is well respected on both sides of the aisle. Uh, he does a lot of good things. He's about helping the poor, the middle class, changing the economic situations and struggles. Uh, that face uh, not only South Carolina, uh, but also the rural areas in this country, William. And he talks a lot about uh, some of the oppression uh, that still exists down in the South. Uh, a lot of the uh, poor areas are in the South, a lot of areas where there's not a lot of hope. Uh, at least that's the perception uh, where people are struggling down there. He has taken a step to ensure that action is being taken to help these families that are struggling in this economic economic climate. Right. I mean, you know, there was a period in the South where, you know, it was a, a lot of heavy manufacturing. So a lot of those places, you know, there was jobs. Uh, but then after, you know, the, around the 1980s, when things started moving to China and moving overseas, you know, that left a lot of mills, you know, vacant buildings. And people, you know, there in these small towns and rural areas in the South saying, you know, what are we going to do for work? And uh, it's been hard. It's been hard for, for years. Yeah, I'm from that part of the country, and, um, you know, we saw significant, you know, just population uh, decline, people moving out. There was no jobs. And, and really, so, you know, what he's looking at is, is building hope, giving opportunity for those people, trying to encourage those people and encourage business to come there and, uh, and see that there's some good, hardworking people there and, you know, opportunity. No, absolutely. And Clef, as we talk consistently uh, about the members on the Hill, and again, this is this is what we really, uh, what the motivating factor was, was starting the Encore series, is to bring back some things that were good. We want to talk about those things again. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot going on on Capitol Hill right now, not only during the time, Cliff, uh, when we interviewed Congressman Clyburn uh, a while ago, uh, but the challenges that the Congress faces now. Uh, with everything we're dealing with, with the Trump administration and other things that are going on, uh, uh, Congressman Clyburn seems to be nonstop as providing true efforts uh, to make sure that the legislation and what needs to be done in this Congress at least is headed in that direction to be done. Yeah, I mean, it, it really highlights how, how hard members on the Hill actually work. You know, the ones that are there that are getting things done. Uh, when you look at um, you know, what we what he had accomplished, what uh, Congressman Clyburn had accomplished when we spotlighted him previously. And now you look at the things that he accomplished uh, since then. Uh, it's amazing. The, their work ethic, the, the amount of time that they put in, I don't think the American public realizes just how, uh, you know, when, when they're in session, it's not about, you know, going, doing, uh, you know, power lunches and, and sipping on coffee. This is about work. This is about walking Capitol Hill, going, voting, uh, making things happen for the American uh, citizen. And, uh, I mean, I mean, I, I think that really needs to be, you know, just highlighted that 
members of Congress work, and most people do not know it, but that's why we spotlight them so that America can get that feel. No, absolutely right. And folks, hang on. Call your friends, neighbors, whoever you can. As we get into this really champion on, on the Hill, uh, Congressman Clyburn doing some good things. Even currently, uh, we, we'll be talking a little bit about the, uh, the uh, Congressman Clyburn joined electric cooperatives of South Carolina staff and members to celebrate new funding for the Rural Energy Savings Program. That is at the end of August. That, that went into effect. We're going to be talking about all of these things and new things, uh, William, that, that Congressman Clyburn is involved in. I'll tell you what, the work never stops uh, as far as running this country. It is necessary that we continue, regardless of what challenges we may feel we're going to face with any administration, our job is to do our best to, to get work done and to do what we need to do and do our job for what the uh, folks of America sent these members of Congress to do. Absolutely. And, you know, these are these are big issues that they're facing, especially in this administration. We've, we've seen in 2017 just, you know, I mean, you can't cut your TV on and not see something major from health care to DACA. Um, you know, it's it's just big items. And so these items are not going to get uh, resolved just overnight. There's a lot of work that is, is done in, on Capitol Hill. And like you said, you know, um, Congressman Clyburn is one of the ones that he's been there for a while. He knows how to get things done. He works across the aisle, and he's, and he's gained a lot of respect from his coworkers. And so those are the type of people that they're expecting to get things done. Then he has to also represent, you know, those, his constituents. Like you said, you know, those that are in South Carolina that, you know, they're going to be impacted by uh, a repeal and replace. Or they may be impacted by any other issue that uh, the Trump administration is looking to, to uh, address. And so he has to go and represent his people. So there, there is no rest for the weary on Capitol Hill. No, absolutely right. And uh, again, we're going to get into that really good right now into some current events going on. A few things happening in the news. North Korean uh, missile flies over Japan, the South says. Uh, so I'll tell you what, the leaders there in North Korea, the dictator, if you will, uh, and I don't want to mess up his name. But, uh, what's his name, William? I believe it's Kim Jong. Kim Jong Un. Yeah. Uh, doing some stuff here, man, and he continues to test. I believe the patience not only of uh, of uh, our allies, but definitely here in the United States. Uh, that could be a bad situation, and uh, we'll keep our eyes on that. Uh, but they continue to do that, and uh, I guess uh, the, the soprano, uh, soprano, excuse me, I just I saw something across me. The Korean regime, if you will, in Korea uh, is very much involved uh, with bringing these issues of trouble, testing back and forth with Trump, the Trump administration, back and forth. That going back and forth, is, it seems to be putting fuel on the fire with, with Korea, William, that they're seem, they're seem to have an attitude, so to speak, well, you're not just going to call us out or intimidate us right right and, and they're they're really not going to back down and and other other leaders um world leaders have come you know have become more outspoken they've said listen this is not going to be resolved by force you know diplomacy is going to have to uh be on the table here people are going to have to get together and talk about their issues because right. this you know he is firing you know south korea has uh he has voiced their concerns he's talking about japan I mean, you know, China, people are, are questioning what their role is going to be in here because, you know, that whole that whole region of the country of the world, excuse me, is uh, right now just sitting in this little turmoil, turmoil because of this one country and this one man's agenda to, uh, you know, 
show he's got force, he has power, and he can launch missiles. Um, it, you know, we're not going to be able to uh, get anywhere if we don't start sitting down and talking. Well, about the it. issue is when you're dealing with a dictator, and this is the danger, and that's what the the, the pundits, everybody's out here saying, the contri- news contributors are saying, look, they don't have the same value of life that perhaps our culture has displayed in America. Uh, they don't have a problem dying with a, with a uh, bomb wrapped around their neck or around their body. They don't have a problem with that. So if you want to egg these people on, uh, that's going to be a problem. Right. It's like a terrorist mentality. I mean, they're not going to back down. They have, they have numbers. And, and, and with them, they are demonstrating their force they're from parade, military parades, where they march their army and, and, and get, uh, you know, televised that. They're, they are very big on showing that they are established sure. uh, dictatorship. And they have firepower to prove who they are. So no, no, absolutely right. And uh, we'll again keep our eye on that. Uh, we are aware that there, the investigations into the Russian probe, uh, that stuff is heating up at a, at a high rate. Cliff, uh, information continually coming out with with the uh, independent uh, investigator uh, Mueller looking into some things. And I'm telling you, things keep falling out the closet here that we believe will probably be at the forefront of the news here shortly. Yeah, I mean, every day it seems that, uh, you know, no matter what the administration tries to use as, an, as a distraction, that there are more and more, uh, you know, just malfeasance just falls out of the woodworks from, uh, from, from these issues with Russia. Now there is, it's been found out that Jared Kushner and a couple other members of the um, you know, Trump administration before they took office, this is back in December, that they met with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, did not notify, um, you know, any, any American, uh, you know, anybody in power that, hey, we have the crown prince coming over and we're meeting with him in Trump Tower. Those are the type of things that, you know, yep. make a, a conflict worldwide. It's supposed to be one leader in this nation at a time. And, and we don't do... Uh, you know, military coup. You you talk to the president, and you talk to his administration, and uh, the way that it's supposed to be done, they didn't do it right, and it's just looking worse and worse every every day. A report comes out about what Mueller found. Yep. Uh, looks worse and worse for the Trump administration. And again, we'll be paying attention to that. And to my point that I said earlier, uh, Sopranos star Frank Benson, who played tough guys and mobsters in The Sopranos. And in Goodfellas has passed away. Uh, if you know anything about it, those type of uh, movies, uh, I remember him uh, uh, specifically. And uh, our prayers and thoughts go out to his family uh, and, and all those that loved him. Uh, we bid him a farewell. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. And tonight, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Encore Series. What do you call someone that's making footprints in the sand, if you will, on this level? What do you say? I can say one thing. His name is Congressman James Clyburn. We kick off Encore on the other side of this break. This is AJC Radio. Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States. I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? 
The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified. And in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We can can make make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, their concerns, and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say that prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is nine out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true, tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big Pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit CSRXP.org. And welcome back in, folks. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Thursday, uh, continuing our Encore series 
of some of the greatest, I believe, interviews that we've done on this show with members, elected officials, members of Congress uh, there on Capitol Hill. And tonight uh, we have the privilege and the honor of highlighting the career and some of the good things that are going on with Congressman James Clyburn from South Carolina. Uh, we've talked a little bit about him, his uh, influence on Capitol Hill, what he's done. Uh, Congressman Clyburn came to Congress in 1993. He was elected co-president of his freshman class and quickly rose through leadership ranks. He was elected chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus back in 1998 and vice chair of the House Democratic Caucus in 2002. Three years later, he was unanimously elected chair of the House Democratic Caucus. And when Democrats uh, regained the House majority in 2006, Congressman Clyburn was elevated by his colleagues to House Majority Whip. And uh, those actions don't come uh, without some work being put in, William. Yes, definitely. I mean, you know, you have to you have to put some work in and gain some respect from a lot of people to be uh you know, promoted in such a way. So he's definitely revered by his colleagues, uh, definitely in, par- in party. And, and, and Cliff and William, we were talking uh, during the break a little bit in regards to uh, Congressman uh, Clyburn. Uh, uh, William, we were talking about the health care center uh, with Senator Sanders. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, we were. Uh, in regards to, uh, I guess, to give some aid and some help. Uh, and we're going to get the specifics on this bill. Uh, just passed, I believe, in August uh, of this year. Uh, give me a moment. Uh, what, what were some of the specifics in that, William, that they were talking about in regards to that? Well, what it looked like was, uh, at least the information we have, is that this, it introduces Community Health Centers and Primary Care Workforce Expansion Act. That was, that's basically okay. what we're looking at here. So uh, him and, and Congressman Clyburn and Bernie Sanders joined forces to actually move this legislation through. Uh, said we often describe the Affordable Care Act as a civil rights act of the 21st century because it's banned many forms of discrimination in the healthcare system. The ACA made great strides towards long-held goals of universal healthcare uh, coverage for all Americans. So basically what they're moving forward is, you know, they continue the evolution of ACA and how it can, you know, how it can go forward and help people more. You know, again, the reason this is so, so important is because we've, we've dealt with, we're feeling replaced. He's looking at the fact him and Bernie Sanders, they're, they're taking the democratic approach saying, listen, ACA does not necessarily cover everything. We know there's areas of improvement. Sure. How can we improve? What can we do to continue to coverage for those that are right now covered by ACA? How can we improve uh, our efforts to help these people and officers offer assistance? You know, absolutely uh, right. Uh, and Congressman uh, Clyburn says that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said in 1966, of all forms of inequality, injustice in health care is the most shocking and inhumane. So they're saying here, uh, Congressman Clyburn states that he often described the Affordable Care Act as the Civil Rights Act of the 21st century. When you begin to find uh, discrimination, if you will, uh, and injustice within the health care, you're talking now life and death issues. Uh, that cannot be politicized. And I think this effort uh, by Congressman uh, Clyburn and, and Senator Sanders really speaks to that. Uh, Congressman Clyburn goes on to say that Senator Sanders and I championed a provision in the ACA that created the Community Health Care Center Fund. Uh, it provided mandatory funding of $9.5 billion over five years to expand community health centers operations and $1.5 billion for construction and renovations of community health care facilities. 
The fund also provided mandatory funding to expand the National Health Service uh, Corps. While this funding was originally scheduled to expire after 2015, we were able to successfully secure a two-year extension of that fund. Uh, so this, these are actions, again, that as you get into this debate, if you will, over ACA, repeal and replace, uh, these are things in the healthcare, uh, in the ACA, that people never, of course, probably didn't pay attention to, that the community health centers were part of that bill. Funding was allowed in that bill. And this, these are the things, uh, William Cliff, that you cannot remove from communities. These are things to help communities, to lift up communities, and to offer that fair treatment as far as health care is concerned. Absolutely. I mean, just like we, we, we talked about at the beginning of the show, where we talked about these rural areas, a lot of these people, because they did not have jobs, you know, or they had some kind of, you know, part-time job or, or something like that, they, they, were, they don't have health care insurance as, you know, per their employer. So ACA brought, you know, health care to people that had not had health care before, did not have coverage, people that had pre-existing conditions. We've talked about this. I think it was estimated over 20 million people would would lose health care if, if the repeal and replace had gone through. So, you know, when you talk about this community action, um, our health centers, these are facilities there that are there at the backbone of these communities, offering services, offering help and care to these people that did not have uh, service before, and now if you if you take that away from them, how far would they have to go to their next care facility? How far? You know, that's always the question. Well, I think these are this is the reason these are the challenges in repeal and replace. Yeah. It, it, you know, an entitled program is very difficult to take from somebody. You cannot once you give somebody something to take it away from them is why the Republican Party has had so many struggles in trying to repeal and replace. And when you read things like this. Uh, as far as the community health centers being part of the ACA and all that was involved with that. Uh, I'll tell you what, people need to do their homework when they're just so quick to say, oh, let's just get rid of it. You've got to consider the, the lives that are affected, and this would affect a lot of people. Well, this, this little piece I was looking at here, it says specifically this bill will increase the funding for community health centers from $5.1 billion in the fiscal year of 2018 to $12.5 billion in the fiscal year of 2027. And it says this would allow health care centers to serve twice as many people in 2028 from 25 million today to 50 million people. Wow. Now, when you when you look at that, those are those are numbers. And these now. Now, what he's doing, what they're doing now, and this is what's so critical, and we need to understand, they're setting this aside now for a projected ten years right. from here. But in in during that time, this is going to be an increase. During this time, these facilities are going to be there and available for these people. This guarantees them health care in their communities and health and services that they need. So, when you're talking about twenty twenty eight, you have a projected. Uh, 50 million people mm-hmm. double the coverage i mean that's amazing that means either you could open either one facility can operate um handle twice as many people or i can we can open another facility you see what i'm saying so oh, we absolutely. can expand in that area because the, the thing about the rural south is and 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 this happens throughout the country but just this and you know for an example these places, people love living there. Their families have lived there for a long time. They're not going to move. And so when you – like you said, if they're there, they have all the facilities and the things that they need, 
That's great. If you take that away from them, what are they going to do? No, absolutely right. And that those are the things that have to be considered. Uh, Congressman uh, Clyburn goes on to say, as we are now dealing with uh, a tax on the Affordable Care Act, uh, Senator Sanders and I are introducing this legislation to expand and make permanent community health center funding and programs that were created in the ACA. Specifically, this bill will increase the funding for community health care centers uh, from, like you said, from the uh, 9.5 to the 12.5 billion in 2027. Uh, so they're aware of what they're doing. That it really is a pivot or a springboard, if you will, from the ACA to Im- implement this type of legislation. I think it's, I think it's awesome that they're doing that. But it goes back to what we said before about Congressman Clyburn. He is a voice that is well respected because what he talks about and what he's doing makes sense, and it makes sense to everybody. And you, what are you going to say about that when he brings something to the table? Uh, and in our interview with him, you'll hear that we had uh, quite some time ago, uh, while we're bringing it back tonight, he talks about what's taking place, what efforts are being made to address issues that matter to people. And that is living situations. That is a, your utility bill down there in South Carolina. What are we doing to make it affordable yes. for, for Americans? And we, I think sometimes we lose sight of the simple things that we have in life, your utility bill, your water bill. What are we doing to ensure that that is not being Take, uh, uh, taken advantage of by these companies that are overcharging. He's right down in the trenches addressing uh, these issues, especially with the rural areas in America. A- absolutely. And this is one of the things of, I'm quoting him. He says, we need to build on the success of ACA, not turn back the clock. This bill does just that, is what he's saying. He said the Trump Care bill on the Senate floor, and this was, of course, a couple weeks ago, this week goes in the opposite direction. Turning back the clock and ripping away coverage and protection for millions of Americans, it is immoral and Congress must reject it. So what he's what he's saying right here is exactly what you said, Mon. Once you give somebody some entitlement, you give them a program, you give them help, you can't take it away from them. You have to say, okay, listen, where are the areas to improve? Let's look at those areas to improve and let's build upon it. Let's get these people now that once did not have coverage. Don't take it away from it. Oh, absolutely right. And uh, let's hear a little bit from Congressman uh, Clyburn. He's talking about in an interview about on inner cities and the Trump administration and the the really the the conflict there. Let's see what he had to say. Uh, I think that people make a tremendous mistake when they look at the inner city and say that is the African American uh, problem. The fact of the matter is, the majority of African Americans in this country still live in the South, basically in rural communities, many of which I represent here in the Congress. I always maintain that the reason we have these crises in our cities is because we have never had a successful rural development program going in the country. We have people uh, in rural communities that will remain in those communities if we carry opportunities to, to them. That's what infrastructure is all about. I've been listening to uh, the president talk about infrastructure, big, giant infrastructure program. Well, the infrastructure program for me is more than roads and bridges. It's about water. It's about sewage. It's about broadband connection. It is about saying to those kids at Scotch Branch High School, uh, where Brown versus Board of Education all started, even today, there are less than 40% adoption rate in those homes when it comes to broadband. 
So if we are really serious about developing uh, African-American community, closing the education gap, closing the income gap, then we have got to carry programs into these rural communities. I've been fighting for them since I've been here. If you look in the Recovery Act, you will see that I've inserted a little formula in that act called 102030. It was put into four parts of the ag bill uh, that um, we had. Yes. Sir, sir, let me ask you this, because um, Donald Trump has handled all of these African-American people so that they could celebrate African-American History Month. Mr. Trump billed this as a listening session. Did he reach out to you at all to attend this meeting? Oh, no. I don't see any African-Americans there who are in government. Uh, Armstrong Williams, I know very well, uh, who was uh, uh, there. He is from uh, my congressional district, uh, his family. Uh, but but uh, most of the friends. people, well, I guess what I'm getting at is most of the people at, in this listening session were supporters of Donald Trump during the campaign. Should well, he have, like, widened the circle? Well, it seems to me uh, that to be successful within the administration, as in everything else in politics, to learn how to add and multiply. This whole thing uh, of uh, subtracting and dividing, and so much, even that appointment last night uh, to the United States Supreme Court, um, that is a, an appointment that will divide America like I have never seen it divided before. You may think this campaign was divisive, but you just see what happens uh, as this uh, vetting takes place. And I would hope well, well, in the president's word that there's extreme vetting. I, I will say that Republicans are looking at the Democratic Party at the moment and calling them obstructionists, especially in light of what just happened just about a half hour ago. And I'm going to try to explain it to my viewers. It's very difficult. But essentially, the Democrats were boycotting these, these committee hearings on these Trump nominees, right? So the Republicans suspended the rules and completely cut the Democrats out because they weren't cooperating at all. And now all of these nominees go to the full Senate for these confirmation hearings without the Democrats taking part. What do you think about that? Well, we did say, uh, look, I think you know what's going on here. Rushing these things through, not allowing for full vetting to take place, uh, putting these names up before the paperwork is ever turned in. Uh, I think that we have a right to vet these nominees. We should know what's in their records. Uh, they're all taking their signals from a president that we just elected who refused to show his income taxes. We learn a lot about people when we look at their income taxes. We learn a lot about people when they fill out the right paperwork and turn it in. So ask them to participate in an unfair, biased system. The Democrats just decided they would not be uh, a party to that. Well, there you have it. Congressman James Clyburn uh, putting it down exactly as it is. And, and the politics don't come into play here as he begins to talk about, look, look, wait a minute. And he, he, you saw how there in that uh, exchange with uh, Ms. Castillo from CNN, he made it clear. We know what's going on here, that these people, they wanted to attack the Democratic Party and say we're, ho- we're holding hostage the process. He says the bottom line is paperwork wasn't completed that you're supposed to turn in whenever you become uh, whenever you go before congress for any type of nomination 
for the administration, there is protocol. So they want to skip over that and then attack some of the Democrats and say, well, you're holding hostage. What's going on here? No, you have to follow protocol. All right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about cabinet members that are going to make decisions here that are going to impact this country. And they're saying, listen, let's follow the protocol. Let's follow the procedure. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if if Hillary Clinton had would have won. And these are cabinet positions for her. The, the policies and procedures still come into play. So it's like, let's get all the stuff in play. Let's do, get all the paperwork. Let's follow the procedures. And let's go through a proper vetting process because I have, to, I have a responsibility to my constituents to represent them. Is this cabinet member, does this person understand the role that they're, they're stepping into? Are they capable of understanding? And we've had questions. We've seen that. I mean, we haven't even made it through this year. Uh, I think we're, what, uh, what two-thirds of the way through, and, and we've had a ton of questions about the cabinet position. We've seen cabinet positions being filled and then vacated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so he had every right, and that's his responsibility. People don't understand. These, these representatives of Congress were hired through voting to do a job. They answer to their constituents. They don't answer to the White House. They answer to us, those that voted for them. He has a responsibility, and that's what he said. He said, I, we have a right. We, let's follow the process and do what is, what is right and do have proper vetting. Your thoughts on that, Cliff? Yeah, I mean, if, if the cabinet, if the administration cabinet gets filled with, uh, with people who aren't, um, you know, representative or, uh, you know, sensitive, yeah, and capable, but – they have to represent the entire scope of the American people. And so that's why you have both, you know, both houses and, uh, you know, um, both of the of the Senate have to bet and vote on these people, because if not, then you have a lopsided cabinet. The worst thing to do is, you know, have a cabinet that all they do is agree with what the president says. That becomes a dictatorship because then it's like, OK, well, everything the president says they agree with and everything goes his way. No, the, uh, you know, that's why there's three branches of government and the other two branches are there to keep the executive branch, the president in check. And so that is what Congress's job is. So for the, the cry to be, well, you know, uh, one side or the other is, is obstructing getting these cabinet members done. That's what they're supposed that's to do. That's they're that's supposed right. to, and to obstruct a lopsided cabinet that because, like you said, well, they're about representing the American people and without votes, without betting, without them knowing who these people are, like uh, Congressman Clyburn said, you know, they got to fill out the paperwork. We need to get a little background information. We need to know what you do as far as tax and how you file taxes. If if uh, if a certain tax reform is in your favor, if you uh, if you're a charitable a uh, member of, of the cabinet. Those things need to be known. It's, the American people need to understand that information before their member of Congress votes for or against this person that's being assigned to the cabinet. So it's absolutely a proper position uh, for for the congressman to take and for every member of Congress. But that's why, you know, Congressman Clyburn is one of the ones that we spotlight here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill because he will take the stand and say, no, I'm not just going to sign off and say, yeah, you can take the position because the president picked you. I mean, we've seen what, what's happened with that. Most of the uh, presidential cabinet that's been in place this year has been replaced. So it, it seemingly 
there needed to be a little more hard line betting going on. Well, and one thing to add to that is that, you know, we've also seen in this cabinet where there was not proper disclosure. Right. You know, and I mean, started with Jeff Sessions and then Michael Flynn. So that supports what he just said. He said, listen, we need to have the proper paperwork. And, and, and for them to go through this process instead of trying to go through a speedy process just to put, you know, people on a cabinet. And, and I mean, he's right, you know. So, you know, we've, we've seen it here with this administration. And so it justifies exactly what he said. No, absolutely right. And those are things, again, that we, we have to pay attention to as you look at uh, the challenges. And I don't think people really understand that. Uh, the challenges that face Congress, period. And we were talking about it uh, this week, early in the week, uh, in regards to nobody really understands or knows. Not only the work of the Congress people up there, but the staff members up there, that it is nonstop working. And they never get credit for that. We're not going to follow that uh, status quo, if you will, here on AJC Radio, because we believe that members, are, we've seen it with our own eyes, Cliff. We've, we've observed this stuff. We've Absolutely. gone in and out and saw the untiring effort. I'm talking day in, day out. It never ceases to be. Cliff. Yeah, I mean, it, you, like I said at the beginning of the show, these people put in work that you as as a as a typical american citizen you might see them on c-span for a few minutes here or there you might see them uh at a hearing uh you know grilling somebody with one of their committees but the amount of work they do from from sun up to sundown and beyond uh i mean they have to you have to give them uh i mean kudos for for still being able and and willing to you know then meet one-on-one with their constituents, deal with the lobbyists all day. I mean, there have been members of Congress that we've gone in and talked to that we know that they started voting at like seven in the morning, seven in the evening, we would have an appointment with them and they would come in, greet us happily. Like, you know, I'm, I'm happy that you guys came. I'm happy to meet with you to hear the issue that you have. And I'm willing to, you know, put, put, for my best effort to help you out. Those are the type of things that the American people don't get to see. What they see is, oh, on the news, you know, when they're getting grilled by a reporter, but the work that they do, it is a tireless effort to try to say they're going to make the the, uh, the laws of the country the best that they can for, for uh, every American citizen. And definitely Congressman Clyburn, you know, since 1993, has been a member of Congress that has been doing that. Like you say, Lamont, you know, He's been voted back in time after time. So that proves who you are, what you stand for, and how your constituents look at you. It's proven by how they vote. They see that right. you're doing something good, you're doing something right, and you get rewarded for that. And But that's not the only reward. The biggest reward is to know that you help one of your fellow Americans and that you did all that you could do to make their life better. No, absolutely right. And we were talking earlier in regards to the uh, William, the current stuff going on in, 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 uh, for Congressman Clyburn, uh, August 29, 2017, in Columbia, uh, South Carolina, Assistant Democratic Leader James Clyburn will join leaders of the Electric Cooperatives of South Carolina to celebrate the recent announcement of $13 million in federal funds from the Rural Energy Savings Program, RESP, to weatherize more than 1,000 homes in rural South Carolina. 
First introduced in Congress by Congressman Clyburn in 2010, the Rural Energy Savings Program is a national initiative that provides loans to electric cooperatives and other utilities, which they use then to lend to consumers for energy efficiency improvements to their homes. Consumers repay the loan through the savings on their electric bill. So he says that this is something, again, uh, he was joining leaders here just uh, last month in pushing this issue, and he's been doing this. He had introduced it all the way back in 2010. He's been working on these issues and helping people say, look, you want to know how we're going to pay for it? We're going to save the consumers money, and we'll use those savings to put back into the program. William, how can you beat that? You can't. You can't. I mean, he, he's really there working on behalf of his constituents saying, listen, you know what? There are people down here that, that, that need some home improvements. They're paying higher bills, um, higher you know, power bills. And just, just if you think about it, it's almost common sense. Mm-hmm. It says, listen, okay, let's work with the co-ops here, and let's, let's try to, number one, improve the, the situation for the, for the members of the co-op, which are the consumers, and then let's recoup our money by the money that we're saving. I mean, that's simple. And he's, and he's putting it in play, introduced it in 2010, and continues to evolve and, and help his people, constituents there in South Carolina. And no doubt, that could be used throughout the country. Well, and I was going to say that when we, when we talked to him uh, uh, in our first interview with him, he made the statement uh, that House Speaker Ryan even came down. Because you, you made one good point, William, what you just said. It's common sense. You can't argue with it. So it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. If Congressman Clyburn has put this thought process together, how can I do it better? And he said this, and I don't want to give the interview away, but he made the statement to us that, you know, laying in, night, laying in the bed one night, he, he was turning over in his mind about this idea. How do we do this? This is what you call an example of leadership, that leaders don't always go to sleep when everybody else is sleeping. Leaders don't always put the notebook down when the others have closed out for the day. Leaders continue the thought process of how can I be better? How can I do what I need to do? How can I carry the burden of the South Carolina people who put me here that not only will affect them, but something that can, as you said, can affect, can be adopted in all other places in the United States of America. Yes, that is what I respect so much about Congressman Clyburn. Because this is someone who is connected. It's not being a congressman, or in, in, in this point, in my opinion, with Congressman Clyburn being the leader that he is, it's not an eight to five job. It doesn't work that way on Capitol Hill. I can tell you that right now. No. no. Uh, and when you hear from Congressman Clyburn chiming in on what needs to be done, laying awake at night, pondering what is the next step, what is the next thing that I do, all you can do is tip your hat. And it shows a congressman that cares. And is connected with the people of his district, but the people of America. And that is the number one thing you need to be when you occupy an office on Capitol Hill. Right. I mean, you know, even when you said that, you know, the thoughts of this, this, this man cares so much about his people. And he cares about the people, uh, just U.S. citizens and the issues that we're dealing with. But you can imagine him laying there at night. He's troubled. He's sitting there thinking about not only the constituents in his area. How he can improve them. He's sitting here saying, you know, I've got a roof over my head. There's somebody out there that doesn't. That's right. There's a constituent. There's somebody out there that doesn't. I need to do something for them. So, it, so you know, he, he may lay his head down, 
at night, but he's still working. No, he's absolutely still right. working. Absolutely right. Let's hear a little bit of what Congressman Claiborne had to say about the war on poverty. And I tell you what, he's well connected to the issues facing this nation. Let's hear what he had to say. President Lyndon Johnson declared a war on poverty in his 1964 State of the Union address. The poverty rate in this, the richest country on earth, was 19%. His great society legislation, a continuation of President Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal and President Harry Truman's Fair Deal, launched a plethora of programs and priorities to serve and protect the neediest and the most vulnerable among us. At the time, President Johnson cautioned that the war on poverty would be long and difficult. But by 1973, only nine years later, the poverty rate had been brought down to 11%. We were definitely winning the war on poverty. Unfortunately, many politicians found success creating myths about the poor and inventing phantoms like the so-called welfare queen. Popularizing narrative that the war on poverty was not worth fighting, but nothing could be further from the truth. For example, Medicare and Medicaid, both war on poverty initiatives have made a tremendous difference in the health and security of older Americans and all Americans of modest means. But these two very successful anti-poverty programs, when they were initiated, the poverty rate among seniors was over 30%. Today, the poverty rate among seniors is under 10%. By what measure can one conclude that these two programs are failures? In addition to Medicare, and Medicaid. President Johnson signed into law the Economic Opportunity Act of 1964. This law launched VISTA, Volunteers in Service to America, Head Start, TRIO, and a slew of other very successful community action programs. TRIO did not fail. In fact, many members of this body on both sides of the aisle would not be here today were it not for Upward Bound, Talent Search, and the Special Students' Concerns programs. Least we forget, about six months after President Johnson launched the war on poverty, Congress responded to his call and passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and a year later, the landmark Voting Rights Act of 1965. These two vital laws created educational and employment opportunities for women and minorities that allowed many of us to fulfill our dreams and aspirations. And in the communities many of us grew up in, many Americans were able to vote for the first times in their lives. There is no better way to wage a war on poverty than to have freedom to choose and unfettered access to the franchise. Well, there you have it. What do you say with words so well spoken 
by a champion of the people, Congressman Clyburn of South Carolina. Deb Gilbert writes on Facebook, thank you so much for all you do. I met you at the Black Caucus Institute this past weekend, and you restore my faith that you and other Democrats are working for the people. I was honored to meet you and want you to know that you are appreciated. The lady from Fort Mill, South Carolina, is what she signs. Sharon Riley writes, we appreciate all you are doing during these challenging times. William, when you start to hear from people, uh, I'll tell you what, it has to be rewarding to Congressman Clyburn to know that, my, that his work that he is doing is not going unnoticed, nor is it in vain. Because people are feeling that. I'll tell you what, when you pull out a bill, I don't care what bill it is, when you got to pay it, and it's a little bit lower than what it was the month before, you feel that. Yes. And it is something that you appreciate. Absolutely. And I think from his standpoint, you know, you, you, move, you move these uh, this legisla- legislation through, and you have approved funds and things like that. You'd like to see that those funds reach the people. You yeah. know, that's the, I mean, it's the trickle down, right? So you, you want to see that they... They are recipients of some of this work that you you've championed. You know, you you've you've talked, spent long nights working on uh, getting these things in play, and so right. uh, all of a sudden now your constituents are feeling them. They're saying, "Listen, this is this is something in hand. I see that you've done for me. Thank you." And uh, and that has to fuel him to say, "You know what? I've got to do more." That was something that was good, but there's more that's needed. That person, now, let's work to get them some kind of opportunity. Let's work, work to help them improve their quality of life. And so um, it, it, he has to feel good and to know that he's out there do, you know, doing a little And Becky Allen writes, thank you, Congressman Clyburn, for voting against the Trump Health Care Act. I pray that the Senate can prevent it from becoming law. My life depends on it. Think about those words, that she, the last few words there. My life depends on it. And we want to say thank you. She said, I got to say thank you to Congressman Clyburn for taking a stand in these challenging times. And Congressman Clyburn, if you're listening tonight, we do salute you here on AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. Folks, feel free to dial into the show tonight at 646-200-0628. That's 646-200-0628. As we Come back, we turn another page and get ready to bring to you the interview with this legend for the people. They call him Congressman Clyburn. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Look, right now, uh, while you're looking at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. 
and they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend, you didn't get caught. They got caught and they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, we have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we are, we have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in on college campuses, in uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life based on what happened that night? That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Koch Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America. And it's time to do something. Talk about I've got to go home. Oh, come on, Carrie. We're going to a new place. Don't be okay. She wants to go home, right? <laughs> she wants to go. Whoa. You okay to drive? Yeah, I'm fine. You sure? Relax. What's a few beers? If you don't stop your friend from drinking and driving, you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill a friendship. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, uh, being part of our Encore series, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, as tonight we've turned the page back to uh, some of our greatest interviews that we feel that really were really, really good. They're all good, but sometimes you've got to take a look at uh, some of the few that really stood out to you. Tonight we take a look at Congressman James Clyburn, and uh, I'll tell you what, what we've learned thus far in this program tonight, uh, William, has been overwhelming but very encouraging uh, for those type of actions being 
uh, taking place in our nation's capital. Absolutely. You see the continued work by Congressman Clyburn to uh, continue, you know, bettering, bettering the lives of, uh, you know, the people, his constituents in South Carolina and also uh, those throughout the United States. No, absolutely right. And, and these are things, again, that, that make a huge difference uh, in progression, if you will. We talk a lot about what's happening in our, what's happening with our uh, uh, inner cities, what's happening with our other communities around the United States. And I, I tell you what, you need leadership like we're seeing from Congressman Clyburn to say, look, let's put some common sense ideas together. And I think when you begin to do that, Cliff, come together with one goal in mind, look, it's not that difficult to get the job done. It's a matter if you're willing to do it or not. And that's, that's critically important. That's right. I mean, when you have common sense legislation and it gets presented, then any person looking at it says, you know, I can jump on board on that. I can I can agree to what's going on because it's common sense. It works for everybody. It makes sense to implement it because it helps out the American people. That's the type of legislation that we need. And I don't understand why. Well, yeah, I do. Some some. uh, Some people are just out for, you know, their the advancement of their political career. But those in Congress who are trying to, you know, make a difference for the American people, they go after the common sense legislation that says this is going to help America. So I'm all for uh, now I can get others to, uh, to sign on as well. And I like something that Congressman Kleinberg saying in regards to the uh, this was back in May of this year, uh, a few months back. Uh, he gave a statement on the Trump budget proposal. We know what that was about. There was a lot of cuts, a lot of things that were going to be happening with that proposal. Uh, Congressman Clyburn went on to say, and he issued the following statement on President Trump's budget request for the fiscal year of 2018. He says, budgets are about much more than dollars and cents. They are value statements, American values. Today, Donald Trump has once again shown us where his are. He talks about improving our infrastructure, but his budget slashes billions of dollars from federal infrastructure funding uh, for middle-income Americans and those struggling in poverty. His budget proposes to slash billions from safety net programs they depend on, nursing home care, affordable health care, food and heating assistance, and legal aid. This budget is an attack on seniors, students, low-income families, and rural communities. For South Carolina, the Trump budget would be a disaster if enacted. Eliminating most of the Department of Agriculture's rural development programs cuts off the lifeline rural counties depend on. The office funds schools, water systems, and supports rural housing areas and businesses. Eliminating the Community Development Block Grant Program cuts the main source of federal funding from multiple uh, organizations to provide critical infrastructure and housing support. The budget also proposes to eliminate funding for the national heritage areas through the National Park Services, uh, which would uh, disseminate the two in our state, the South Carolina National Heritage Corridor and the Gulag Gishe Cultural Heritage Corridor. So, uh, William, he comes out swinging that this budget proposal affects everything, especially in his district. When you start uh, cutting funding, to nursing home care and all what are we saying to america and what does that say about congressman Clyburn that has the 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 really the courage to stand and say no this is unacceptable well what you're doing is you're you're really pulling the rug out from people's feet you're 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 taking away and we talked about this earlier you're taking away care from these people i mean one show some shape form or fashion you're you're talking about if you take away 
uh, reducing the money to these nursing homes, that means personnel, that means, uh, you know, services that they provide. So the patient, you know, the elderly are, are going to they're going to feel that. And that's not right. It's not right. And that's what he's taking a stand for. And he goes further, and we're going to get into this on the other side. What I'd like to do right now is bring part one of our interview with the congressman that I think is really rewarding. Uh, and, he, and you're going to hear from him. And, again, this interview was, was taped uh, uh, quite some time ago. Uh, but you're going to have an opportunity. i say six months or, or longer it's been since we've sat down with Congressman Clyburn. But I think what he had to say uh, had to fit perfectly uh, with the Encore series tonight as we, again, turn the page back and relive and rewalk through some of these uh, shows that we've had with these members, and I think this will be enjoyable for you. So right now I'm going to take a moment and play part one of that interview of Congressman James Claiborne. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Lamont Banks, AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We are here with Congressman Clyburn, uh, a major uh person here on Capitol Hill that's making an impact, doing some great things. I'm here with Lisa Stewart and LaWanna Clark, and we're doing some things, and we're honored, Congressman, that, to, that you take a few minutes as things are busy up here uh, to get your thoughts on what's going on here. Uh, and they were sharing with us the, this initiative that you're working on right now that, that focuses on addressing, uh, of course, poverty-stricken areas. Why don't you tell the folks about that? Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, the so-called 10 20 30, program. It's really a formula uh, that um, came to me back when we were putting together the recovery package or the stimulus bill back in 2009. um, I said to the group as we were putting that program together that the country was teetering on an economic condition much like the one we experienced after the fall of 1929. Uh, and, of course, many people remember uh, the so-called New Deal that was put together by Franklin Roosevelt. Um, but the New Deal, though it moved uh, the country out of the Depression, sure. um, it left significant pockets mm-hmm. uh, behind. And so I made it very clear to the group that I did not want to be a part of putting together a recovery package that would uh, repeat uh, that sordid history. Uh, Because if you remember programs such as the Work Progress Administration, WPA, the Civilian Conservation Corps, these programs in my part of the country had a little sign hung on them, white only. And so, to me, if we are going to um, move this uh, recovery agenda, we needed to ensure uh, that uh, the recovery uh, reached uh, all corners uh, of our society. Well, I had a hard time trying to convince them that we should do something about it. So one. The night about 3.30 in the morning, uh, this light went off in my head because I had just been meeting with the staff and we were talking about uh, where poverty existed and how uh, we categorize it in this country. And I remember one of them said to me that, well, we have these 
plethora of persistent poverty counties. And um, and when I asked, they told me that persistent poverty was defined in our governmental uh, entities uh, as any county or community where 20% of the motor population is stuck beneath the poverty level for the last 30 years. So if that's the way we define it, it just came to me that maybe we ought to target those counties. So I just thought it would be kind of a jazzy uh, to say uh, at least 10% of the money that's being appropriated in this particular account should be spent in those communities where 20% of the population has been stuck beneath the poverty level for the last 30 years. That's how that came about. I finally convinced uh, the House and Senate to put that formula into four parts of the uh, rural development section uh, of the agriculture bill. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, according to them, let's see if that will work. Well, it worked famously. Wow. 4,600 projects were funded under it. and we saw communities all over the country where people have been trying for years, decades, to get water systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, now this formula directed uh, that uh, there would be money going in those communities. In my district alone, uh, Marion County, Orangeburg County, Bamberg County, these counties uh, one of them, man, had been trying to get a water system for over 40 years. They got the water system under this program. Wow. And so I had my staff to check and see what happened. And soon enough, they came back with these figures. Uh, it was very successful. stuff. Well, I tried very hard to get the uh, President Obama to put this formula in his budget. There's nothing unusual about this. I mean, way back when I was much uh, younger. Um, uh, We had the Model Cities Program. Mm -hmm. Uh, You may recall uh, we had Empowerment Zones in the Clinton Administration. Mm -hmm. This was to target money into areas. And so we just put this formula on it. And, and of course, um, I sat down with OMB. I sat down with General Council from the President's, uh, from the administration. They They found nothing wrong with it. They just didn't couldn't develop the will to do it. Well, interestingly enough, uh, I started talking about it. Harvard University, I got—I was contacted by uh, Harvard University and I asked to write an essay on this concept. Wow. Uh, and we wrote it. And it was published in Harvard's uh, Journal on Legislation. Uh, the Speaker of the House Paul Ryan was at the time chairman of the budget committee. He saw it. And he came to me on the floor one day and says, you know, uh, I'm intrigued by that formula. Would you come before the budget committee and present it? Mm -hmm. Uh, I did. Uh, And, of course, it was well received. A little while later, with all the turmoil that went on, Ryan then began speak of the house. Right. So he walked up to me one day on the floor and he says, I've spoken to Harold Rogers. I would like for you to sit down with him 
and seeking you all get your staffs together because I really want to put the 102030 formula into parts of the appropriation bill. And I'm pleased to report that as of today, uh, they have put that formula into 17 uh, oh, sections wow. of uh, 17 accounts for the appropriations bill. Um, and I think it'll, it'll grow up because I think that when you talk to communities, they understand that it's, it's a clean, simple concept. If you can look at $100 million here, 10%, 10 million must go into these communities. So um, I, I think it will work well, and um, uh, we'll see. It did work well in, 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 in nine, eight years ago. Uh, I think it will work well. Well, Congressman, uh, that is, that's uh, amazing. And I think the fact is, I think what we respect about you, Congressman Clyburn, is this. I, I was I, years ago. I was in sales quite a bit, and they used mm-hmm. to have a term called "keep it simple, stupid," yeah. and yeah. Uh, known as "kiss." Yeah. If I believe what is so refreshing is that it is that simple. It's if pleasure. people are willing to just do the common sense things. Well, my dad used to um, set up all kinds of stuff, and he would do things to, to teach us lessons. And I never forget. He used to tell me all the time, uh, wherever. There's a will. There's a way. There's a way. So if if you ever develop the will to do something, you'll figure out a way to do it. Right. Um, and I, I think uh, that uh, more willingness is now uh, being developed. I just did. Um, uh, well, I do this often, but uh, recently I've been thinking about it a little more. We tend to look at, especially when you start talking about black poverty, poverty sure. in black communities. Everybody starts talking about the inner cities, the inner cities. Sure. I just saw uh, the president uh, having a little uh, interview with African-Americans in, uh, over at the White House, and they kept talking about the inner city this and the inner city that. Well, the fact of the matter is the majority of African-Americans in this country still live in the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I maintain that the reason you have these crises in urban communities is because we have never uh, sufficiently developed uh, uh, programs in rural communities. Because who would lead uh, rural South Carolina uh, if you had opportunities there? If there had uh, the benefit, uh, you can't have economic development if you don't have a source of water. Uh, And you got to figure out a way uh, to treat Sure. Uh, the wastewater. So that's what 1023 is all about. Well, there you have it. Uh, what an interview with Congressman uh, Clyburn. Uh, putting it down, making it simple. Uh, and William, when we talk about this, we, we referenced it a little bit earlier, uh, that what Congressman Clyburn is doing uh, is catching on. When the Speaker of the House uh, requests you to present your idea because he sold on it, and they cross party lines to do that, that says a heck of a lot, given the temperature and the tone of, the, of, the, of this Congress. Right. Well, you know, the, the, again, it's a common sense mentality. He, ba- he basically looked at it. He said poverty has no it, – it's not bound to one area of the country. He said, you know, basically just – 
just as his constituents are African American in the rural South. You have, and they may vote Democrat in West Virginia, in Kentucky, in in, in Appalachian areas. There, you have you have you know white Americans that are dealing with the same thing. They've right. they've had decline in the coal production, and, and factories have moved out of there too. They're dealing with the same thing. So the ten twenty thirty plan helps them just as well. And so that's when you you see that you. You've done something effective because it affects and impacts people uh, out regardless of their region. Sure. It happens across the United States. And so he's saying, listen, let's let's start putting these things in play. And Paul Ryan called him and said, hey, listen, you got something good going on here. Let's get these people together and let's start moving it forward. Well, I, mean, I think that that just speaks volumes all by itself uh, because the, the gridlock, if you will, that we find in Congress so many times, uh, it takes a special person to be able to get and push through that gridlock. Uh, but when you're looking at areas of poverty, and I think a lot of uh, members and, and people in America, maybe we lose sight of the poverty argument or the poverty case that has to be addressed. Poverty goes to a lot of problems. That core problem in poverty goes to a lot of problems that we face in this nation right now, whether you're talking about incarceration, whether you're talking about the closing of schools, education not being available like it needs to be, uh, people not feeling confident to go spend money because they don't have any. You know, everything is living paycheck to paycheck. So when you start talking to the American people about putting money back in their pockets, what can I do with that? Maybe I give my boy that Christmas he wanted as the money I've saved over a 12-month period. Does that build confidence uh, in my family structure? What does it do? Did not have to struggle with what I'm going to eat to, you know, next week because my check, I'm in between checks. And perhaps I don't know what I'm going to eat next week, but that money that you're talking about giving back to me with common sense practices can make a huge difference as we proceed forward in our ability to address other issues. There's always issues that stem from issues and stem from issues and so on. So I think what the congressman puts down there and what he is, is saying uh, I, I think is wonderful because this is what hard work is about. And we're starting to see that, uh, not that it's just the beginning. This is why, again, Congressman Clyburn has been in office since 1993. This is why. Folks, we're coming back on the other side of the break with part two of our interview with Congressman James Clyburn. We call him the legend, the champion of the people on Capitol Hill. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. 
Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. You must have thrown a thousand pitches teaching him to hit a home run. Spent countless Saturdays running routes so he could learn to hit an open receiver. Endless afternoons teaching him how to hit the three-pointer. But how much time have you spent teaching him what not to hit? Teaching boys that all violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one. Side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. History is important because it shows where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best 
when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, introducing the Encore series where we take a look back at some of the best interviews we've had since Spotlight on Capitol Hill started. Uh, We have recently reached our two-year anniversary on that. And I'll tell you what, William, the Encore series is taking off. Uh, it's, it's having definitely, definitely with good reviews, but an opportunity to go back and listen to the heart, if you will, of some of these members of Congress on Capitol Hill that impacted our shows. Uh, this has been an enjoyable one. Yes, it has. It has. And it's good to hear, uh, you know, they, they just don't stop. I think, I think Cliff said it best. You know, when you, when you go and visit them, you see them at work there, they are, never have a break. They're always there you know, championing some cause at, at the point of some need and always there listening, you know, with an open ear and heart to receive, you know, hey, how are you doing? Very warm. And so, you know, it's good that we, we have this series to, to not only revisit, you know, the memorable interviews, but also talk about, you know, the current things that they're doing. No, absolutely right. And uh, we've, been, we've been fortunate here. And I want to read a statement that Congressman Clyburn made regarding to the a uh, statement on Trump's Election Integrity Commission. Uh, U.S. House Assistant Democratic Leader Jane, Congressman Clyburn released the following statement on the signing of an executive order establishing a presidential advisory commission on election integrity and Russian meddling. Uh, Congressman Clyburn states this, President Trump's Election Integrity Commission is an obvious attempt to stop the freefall his administration is in as a result of his firing of FBI Director Comey and the ongoing investigation into the administration's ties to Russia. It is worth noting that nothing in the executive order will address the very real influence that Russia had on our election. While I was troubled by Director Comey's handling of the investigation into Secretary Clinton's email server last year, I respect the need for law law enforcement to be independent from political influence. Whether true or not, President Trump, Attorney General Sessions, and Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein have created the dangerous appearance that they are trying to stifle the investigation. To remove all appearances of impropriety, Congress should swiftly pass legislation creating an independent commission to fully investigate Russia's intervention in our election pro- electoral process. The American people deserve the truth, and they deserve to have confidence in the independence of the officials charged with finding it. Moreover, it is sad that President Trump is so obsessed with his own popularity that he's willing to ignore facts, waste valuable resources, and shake public confidence in our democracy in order to stroke his own ego. More than a commission, excuse me, more than a dozen recent nonpartisan investigations have found no evidence of widespread voter fraud, making this so-called commission totally unnecessary. With one of the architects of voter suppression, Chris Kobach, as vice chair president uh, Trump's commission lacks all credibility. Republicans have used the myth of voter fraud to restrict voting rights for a very long time. At a time when our democracy is fragile and under constant threat, I will fight any attempt to nationalize voting rights discrimination. And Cliff, your thoughts on that as Congressman Clyburn 
does not mix his words in any way addressing this administration. And I think the points he makes are valid. Yeah, and that's what it takes. I mean, Congress is there to challenge the uh, office of the president. They're there to, when the executive office or executive branch, if you want to call it, uh, does something outside of the realms of what seems um, reasonable or, uh, you know, to the to the advancement of the American people and America as a whole, then that's what Congress is there for, to keep the, the executive branch in check, to challenge it, uh, and to make sure that the American people are represented toward the president. And if the president does something crazy, God forbid, <laughs> then right. Congress is supposed to be there to say, hey, Mr. President, this is not what the American people voted you in for. If you don't understand that, they voted us in to make sure that we that we tell you that this is not what you're supposed to be there for. And, you know, you, you find out in politics, in accountability, why things are set up the way they are. Otherwise, you will have a dictatorship yeah. on your hands in this country. And I like the fact that Congress Clyde, Congressman Clyburn does not mix his words. Well, I don't want to say it this way. Well, maybe it's a missed thing or a missed thing. No. The administration is attempting to distract from Russia. Just call it what it is. I believe that is why he is well-respected. And I'll tell you what, he's speaking what other people are thinking. Yes. Maybe they don't have the gall to speak it, but I, I, my, I salute Congressman Clyburn. Look, it is what it is. And until you call it out and, and, and make it a matter of record, see, that's on the record. I don't have to wonder what Congressman Clyburn is thinking or what does he believe in. You, you don't have to even think about asking that question because he makes it very clear what his position is. I think that's respectable, William. When you look at Congress, and, and not Congress, but you look at the government and this administration and all the things that have happened since January 21st uh, in this country, uh, you better have somebody calling things out. Because right. if you don't, you're talking about really a, a, a serious problem for, for at least the, the credibility and the confidence of the American people would be shattered. Right. I mean, and, and Cliff touched on it earlier. You know, I, it was set up. All three branches were set up for checks and balances. That was it. To check each other, balance each other. He is standing here saying, I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm not going to be pushed. I'm not just going to get on the bandwagon and just go along with any of this, any of this stuff that you guys got going on. I have to represent the people. The bottom line is the president is there for a term. He is there for a term, at the most eight years. The, when it's done, the still the, the impacts to, that the go- government has done to the U.S. people or for the U.S. people, those things are things that he is going to be held accountable for. So the bottom line is he has to stand there and say, listen, you know what? I've got to champion these causes. I'm not going to be pushed around. These are, this is what I have to do. No, absolutely right. And right now, we, as, as we've been talking about the, excuse me, as we've been talking about the issues of racism and all those things that are going on, I'll tell you what, Congressman Clyburn has something to say about that and the, the really systematic racism that's going on in this country right now. Uh, we're going to hear his thoughts on that. Let's see what he has to say. Now, I think it is high time for us to be grown-ups about this issue of race. We're not going to solve the race problem in this country by pretending it does not exist. 
you're not going to solve the race problem in this country by uh, pretending that you can change your skin color uh, as you change uh, a suit or a jacket, if you please. Mr. Trump needs to get serious about this issue, stop making light of it, uh, and I see that's what he seems to be doing. No system is rigged against him because of his skin color. That's what race is all about. And we must be serious about that, have a conversation with each other about that, and see what we can do to solve this problem and not hide behind what may or may not have happened to you as a person uh, because of some ordinance uh, affecting your investments or how much taxes you pay uh, if at all. And, and sir, how do you, and, and talking about what you went through in the 60s and the different marches and demonstrations that you helped organize, because if I was doing my math correctly, it was over 60 years ago uh, that you or when you were 12. Uh, so the commercials that, that have been played about 1968 and Nixon and the law and order candidate and Donald Trump now using that phrase, you know, being the law and order candidate, does that make you worried how people will cast their vote, not based on hope for the future, but fear of the future. That's exactly what I'm afraid of. I've had that conversation this morning with members of my caucus. Uh, I've had one-on-one -on -one conversations later today. When I heard Mr. Trump uh, several days ago saying that I am the law and order candidate, that to me was more than a dog whistle. Uh, that to me was using the bullhorn uh, to send messages out to people. When I see an avowed white supremacist thanking Mr. Trump, saying in those thanks, we get your hints, we understand uh, what you're saying. This says to me that there's a lot going on in this campaign that we had better be conscious about because this country is too great a country for us to allow uh, it to be pulled under with the strong currents uh, of uh, what may be racial tensions. So I would say uh, to Mr. Trump, let's have uh, adult discussions about this very serious problem. Uh, Mr. Speaker, on yesterday, I opened up uh, Black History Month with a speech at uh, Cornerstone Baptist Church on Wayne Street in Columbia, South Carolina. They had an interesting topic for me to develop. Uh, it was all about remembering our past and preparing for the future. Uh, Chairman Butterfield has talked a little bit about the past that many of us remember. But 50 years uh, after Selma, we must turn to the question that Martin Luther King Jr. asked in one of his great books. Where do we go from here? Chaos or community? Statistics show that there are nearly 500 counties and thousands of communities in the United States that are classified by the Census Bureau persistent poverty areas. They are so defined 
because 20% of their populations have lived below the poverty level for the past 30 years or more. They are diverse, including Caucasian counties in states like West Virginia, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Native American communities in states like South Dakota, Alaska, and Oklahoma. Latino communities in states like Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. African American communities in states like South Carolina, Alabama, and Mississippi. There are urban communities in states like New York and heartland communities in states like Missouri. 139 of these counties are represented in this body by Democrats. 331 of these counties are represented in this body by Republicans. 18 of these counties are split between the two parties. Combating persistent poverty should matter to all of us, regardless of party, geography, or race. In early 2009, when we were putting together the Recovery Act, I proposed language to require at least 10% of these funds to be of funds in rural, three rural development accounts be directed to these persistent poverty. This requirement was enacted into law. In light of the definition of persistent poverty counties as having at least 20% poverty rates over 30 years, the provision became known as the 10-20-30 initiative. This provision bore dividends as economic development projects proliferated in persistent poverty communities across the country. Using the 10-20-30 formula that the, under the Recovery Act, 4,655 projects in persistent poverty counties totaling nearly $1.7 billion was funded. I saw firsthand the positive efforts of these projects in my district. We were able to undertake projects that create jobs that would have otherwise languished. And there you have uh, Congressman James Clyburn uh, talking about uh, the racism, talking about poverty, uh, covering all bases really there uh, in remembrance of Selma. Uh, all the things and, and struggles, if you will, that this nation has had to endure, uh, uh, no, notably the African-American community uh, and minority communities across this country. Uh, and I was able to find a, a uh, quote by Congressman Clyburn regarding the violence in Charlottesville. And he makes the statement, we must speak with one voice in condemnation of the bigoted hatred and violence on display uh, in Charlottesville. And uh, William, it is important we say it. We've said it once. We've said and we'll say it again. Uh, when, when you begin to speak uh, as a leader in Congress, 
whether you're the president of the United States, whether you are a representative of the people of your district and of this nation, uh, you are bound by an oath to speak and to speak uh, as a person that comforts the country in time of trouble. Congressman Clyburn seems to fit that bill. Yes, I mean, he definitely reaches out and uh, tries to console his people. And, and, and the thing that we needed so much is that is someone to help bring us together. You know, absolutely. That, you know, to help when and during Charlottesville, there was a divide, there was such a racial divide there. Um, and so he needed to, to basically reach out and say, listen, you know what? We need to come together. We need to have a united voice. And he had a voice also regarding the Confederate flag. We'll get into that. But before that, uh, we're going to actually talk, uh, not excuse me, have an opportunity to hear part two of our interview with Congressman Clyburn. Let's see uh, what the conclusion of that interview brings. Another thing that I'm very proud of that very few people uh, know about is something called the Rural Energy Savings Program. Mm -hmm. South Carolina has the highest per capita of manufactured housing in the country. Mm -hmm. Now, it came to my attention that people, a lot of people living in manufactured housing were paying exorbitant uh, utility bills mm-hmm. because these double wides, we call them, right. these single wides, uh, these manufactured homes are poorly insulated. Mm-hmm. And people will buy them, uh, park them on a lot, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, just start to live in and they look down the road in the middle of winter, and all of a sudden you're paying seven, eight hundred dollars a month, and wow. you told the bills. Wow. So uh, we looked at that in South Carolina, and the co-ops, the rural electric co-ops, uh, uh, almost forty of the states, about fifty states, I think thirty-eight to be exact, have these co-ops. Mm-hmm. They're all over South Santee, Cooper, I. Um, my wife grew up in Berkeley County. She was, they were a member of the Berkeley Co-op. Uh, we have a home where we have the, um, uh, have the Co-op, uh, Tri-County Co-op. So why sat down with the Co-ops? And here's what we came up with. And this is now law. We thought that we could develop a program so that people could borrow money from the Co-op to retrofit their homes, uh, put these aprons, I think they call them, on the ground under them, uh, put roofs, new roofs on top of them, rip out this HVAC system and put in good HVAC systems and put in real insulation. Uh, we found that you could do uh, much of this through around $9,000 a year. So what we came up with was a program by which people could go to their co-op, borrow this money, have the retrofitting done, and pay back the loan through their monthly utility bill. There you go. And wow. here's what we found. We yeah. found that that's Seven eight hundred dollar electric bill or utilities cost reduced to less than three hundred dollars. Wow. 
pay back the loan, the loan to pay $200 a, a month, that's $500. You are then pocketing $300 that you have been paying utility costs for. Right. That's right. Work famously. Well, uh, I finally convinced the Congress uh, to create the Rural Energy Savings Program. Took me seven years. Wow. Um, but it's now law. And we put in $53 million uh, last year. South Carolina got $13 million of that. Uh, I'm convinced that that $53 million is going to be $253 million. We'll, this program will spread like wildfire because people will see what is it uh, when we start talking about doing an infrastructure bill. Sure. This is infrastructure. Uh, it creates jobs. The roofers mm-hmm. will have work to do. Uh, the HVAC people will have work to do. The insulators will have work to do. Uh, I don't know who puts those aprons on the ground. I've gone and looked at them. I, uh, I know what it is. Uh, I, I'm not going on the trail to do it. <laughs> but everybody, so you're creating a job and you're providing a significant service and the co-ops uh, it's low interest rate, but it's interest. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you're turning the economy. So these are the kinds of things that I, uh, I, I have been doing. I, I'm going to get to uh, the um, stuff that we've done on the campuses of H- historical black college and universities. There are 103 campuses uh, uh, in the country. Uh, we've, uh, we sort of pioneered a program to restore buildings and sites from historical black college and universities. Um, most of these HBCUs are in the South. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I got seven of them in my district. Right. Uh, and uh, there are 11 in North Carolina. So you talk about uh, 20, that's about uh, uh, 20%. Yeah. Just in those two states. This is before you get to Georgia, where there's right. four. Mm-hmm. Alabama, where there's five, uh, five, four or five in Alabama, about five in Mississippi, Texas, Florida. Mm-hmm. That's what it's found now. Uh, you know, I know people up in Pennsylvania that don't consider themselves being in the South, but there are two HBCUs in Pennsylvania, Cheney State uh, and um, Lincoln, and then there's a Lincoln in Missouri. Uh, I don't know where you want to put West Virginia, but Blue State and West Virginia State were. Other than that, the rest of these HBCUs are in the South. You know what? Uh, as I'm listening to you, Congressman, uh, consider 2020 Clyburn ticket. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean, this, well, that, that, that's a nice number, but uh, there's another number uh, that I keep on my mind. Sure. 76. Okay. Which is my age. <laughs> <laughs> well, Congressman, I'll tell you right now, this stuff here to me, this, this is getting stuff done. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah. You're talking about affecting the economy, creating jobs, taking the, the burden off of the backs of, of Americans to say, right. look, this can help you, the people sure. who are paying $800 a month. This is, this is what we need, which we have, sure. and we are very appreciative of what you are doing here on Capitol Hill. I'm, I'm talking, you're talking about a trailblazer, if you will, that, that hopefully the people coming after you will know, wait a minute, we need an example that's that. Well, Congressman Clapper is setting that example every single day. Well, that's, you, right. that's awesome stuff, man. Well, that's right. You know, I, um, 
I always maintain that we can be no more, nor will we ever be less than what our experiences allow you to be. And I think that uh, if people were to just listen, I think the uh, uh, a lot of elections would go differently if people were uh, to to listen to the voices of experience. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, there's nothing wrong with getting educated. Uh, but my dad used to say all the time, experience is the best it's teacher. True. Absolutely. Uh, and so no matter how much, uh, as the folks say down in Gullah Geechee country where I'm from, <laughs> book learning you get. Right. Uh, you really get a lot of learning from your experience. It's a pleasure. Well, thank you. Uh, we're going to you always have a platform on our show okay. to get your word out. And again, we know it's a busy, busy time. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time okay. with us today. And there you have it. Congressman James Clyburn. What a delightful interview with Congressman Clyburn. I'll tell you what, he's, he, how he sounds is exactly who he is. You can have a conversation with him. Uh, you can sit down with him and you think you're on the back porch having a glass of sweet tea and having a conversation. And William, your thoughts on Congressman Clyburn. I'll tell you what, what a delightful man and doing some good things and uh, just easy going. And, and look, how could you not work with him? Yeah, you know, he, he's definitely someone that is, um, deserves the merit and the credit that he uh, that he, he deserves, he needs, the accolades. I mean, he's doing so much for, for our country. You talk about health care, you talk about poverty, you talk about education. All these things are things that he is right at the point and uh, being a champion and fighting for those causes. No, absolutely. Cliff, your thoughts on Congressman Clyburn? I know, again, this is the Encore series. And, it, you know, each week you feel like this, you've heard it for the first time. Uh, your thoughts on Congressman Clyburn and what he's doing up there in Washington? Yeah, just the new legislation that he's put in place is, uh, again, common sense legislation that we need uh, as the American people that, I mean, when, when you, you look even back at his 10, 20, 30 legislation, this is common sense. You say, well, you, you have to ensure that, um, you know, that impoverished areas – get funding when funding laid out well put it in the bill put it in the legislation so that when it is signed it is a law it has to happen those are the type of legislative uh, implementations that we need as the american people and when you when you see uh you know like congressman Clyburn said you know one of those one of those light bulb moments in the middle of the night that hey this is how we get this done we force it through to ensure that every american citizen uh, is represented by their member of Congress, and uh, I think that uh, Congressman Clyburn has done a great job representing not only his constituents, but taking those plans that he's implemented. And like he said, uh, Speaker Ryan came and said, "Hey, what you've done in your district, we need to implement implement that, uh, you know, nationwide." So it it goes to show that a little common sense goes a long way, and Congressman Con- uh, Clyburn. Uh, is, is one of those members of Congress that should be commended for the things that he's getting done. Well, that's right. A little uh, footnote to know. Congressman Clyburn began his professional career as a public school teacher in Charleston, South Carolina. Before being elected to Congress, he directed two community development programs, served on the staff of South Carolina governor, and ran a state agency under four South Carolina governors, two Democrats and two Republicans. His memoir, Blessed, Ex- Blessed Experiences, Genuinely Southern, Proudly Black, was published by the University of South Carolina Press in 2015. It has been described as a primer 
that should be read by every student interested in pursuing career in public service. His humble beginnings in Sumter, South Carolina, as the eldest son of an activist, fundamentalist minister, and an independent, civic-minded uh, beautician, grounded Congressman Clyburn securely in family, faith, and public service. He was elected president of his NAACP youth chapter at the age of 12 years old. He helped organize many civil rights marches and demonstrations as a student leader at South Carolina State College. And he even met his wife, Emily, in jail following a student demonstration. Jim and Emily England Clyburn were, have been married since June 1961. They are the parents of three, three daughters, uh, Mignon, Jennifer Reed, and Angela Hannibal. Two sons-in-law, Walter Reed and Cecil Hannibal as well, and four grandchildren. And I'll tell you what, a family man, uh, come, hey, William, like you said, come from really uh, humble beginnings. And I think to look back over his life and to see what he has accomplished uh, from that uh, grassroots beginning, if you will, humble beginning, what does that say about the American dream? Well, it says that it's alive and well. And what he's doing is he's enabling those dreams. You know, he, he understands, he, he understood that, you know, education was a, was a means of getting out of, of his situation and circumstance. That's an opportunity. Those, those have, you know, those things, the, the same doors that were open for him, he's opening those doors for others so they can come up. They can, they can seek to live a life that they want. They're, they can obtain their dreams. And that's, that's the real, uh, real motivation behind a lot of this. And you understand really very clearly why he has been in Congress uh, as long as he has been there. You understand. Since 1993, he has been in Congress. People believe in Congressman Clyburn. They believe in his integrity. They believe in his work ethic. Because you don't continue to be voted back into office unless you are making a difference and doing something. And apparently the people of South Carolina have a great deal of respect for this man, uh, this leader, this champion, if you will, of the people. His to be commended tonight. And we are so honored and privileged to have an opportunity to shine the spotlight uh, during our Encore series of Congressman James Clyburn. Again, a wonderful, delightful man. Uh, if you meet him in person, he's the same person uh, that we met there that day. Uh, and we're just really honored uh, to have the opportunity to have him on Cliff. Uh, as we get ready to continue to build upon the Encore series, uh, how important is it that we take a look back sometimes? Because human beings forget, and sometimes we have, to remind, we, we have to be reminded of exactly the good things that are going on. Absolutely. You, the last thing you want to do is let, let it get out of the, the uh, mind of the American people, how much work gets put in by members of Congress. And you see even um, you know, with Congressman Clyburn, in the short amount of time from, from when we did the original spotlight with him, I mean, now there's pages and pages of legislation yep. that uh, he has either authored or implemented, co-authored, that now are in law. And things that have been done for the American people, be it for education, for poverty, for child care, uh, everything that he holds dear for his constituents and the American people, it, it, it needs to be kept in the spotlight so that uh, everybody understands. I mean, you look at what he has accomplished in a short amount of time since, since uh, we did the live interview with him, it speaks volumes to the amount of work that members of Congress put in up there on the hill. And there you go. Couldn't be said better by myself or anybody else, Cliff. Thanks for that input. And I'll tell you what, folks, 
continue to join us here on Encore Thursday. Spotlight on Capitol Hill, the new initiative, if you will, of turning the page back as we remember the best interviews highlighted on this program. We have lots more to come. Until next time, America, good night. Take care of yourself and each other. We'll see you next time. To speaker like most Americans, I spent the holidays with family and friends, reflecting on the blessings of the past year. There were many. Since 2009, the stock market has soared nearly 10,000 points. In 2009, our budget deficit stood at $1.4 trillion. Today, according to current projections, We've sliced that deficit to 514 billion. And we've created 10 million new jobs, the longest stretch of private sector job growth in American history. When I left home on yesterday, I left my wife with a full tank of gas, and I did so paying less than $2 per gallon. It was the first time I've been able to do that in five years. We have achieved much progress over the past several years. Now we must get about the work of making sure that progress is shared by all. In a few moments, we will cast some substantive votes. These votes will literally set the rules of the game for the next two years. There will be a very clear reflection of our respective parties' priorities. While Republicans' rules changes seem to rig the game in favor of the wealthy, Democrats will immediately force a vote on job creation, paychecks for working families, and American competitiveness and economic growth. Democrats want to put people to work, building roads and bridges that will connect our economy in the 21st century. We will ensure that every American shares in our nation's prosperity by taking away corporate tax deductions for millionaire executive compensation unless their employees get a raise as well. It's simple, Mr. Speaker. House Republicans' first priority in the 114th Congress is stacking the deck for those with the highest incomes and for voodoo trickle-down economics. House Democrats' first priority is to put Americans in a better place by creating jobs, standing up for working families, and growing the economy for all.